Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on. We are talking today with Jess and Jane from Coast Life Families. Now, accumulatively, they are a lactation consultant, a child health nurse, and a neonatal nurse practitioner. So essentially, they, yes, they look after your babies from newborn to about five usually, but they definitely do after that as well. But they really have a beautiful focus on the whole family unit. How's the health of the whole family unit? How's the dynamic? How is the transition for the new mother? Or how is the transition for the second or third time mama with the extra dynamic and personality of a new individual? And I just really love this beautiful holistic approach that they have to their care. And I really love the continuity that they provide for their women and their babies and their families. So I know you guys are just going to love this one. Majority of the questions are from what you guys sent in that they're problems that you guys are struggling with at the moment in the community, um, in our natural birth co community. So I really hope you enjoy and receive a lot of answers to your burning questions. This podcast is brought to you by Natural Birth Co. We help women and their partners prepare physically and mentally for a natural and empowering birth experience. With pregnancy yoga, Pilates and workshops, all led by our registered midwife, we have a studio here on the Sunshine Coast, Australia. Otherwise, all of our services are available online. You can learn more at naturalbirthco.com. If you wish to advertise on this podcast, you can visit naturalbirthco.com forward slash pregnancy dash podcast. Now enjoy this ad free episode. Do you guys want to start by introducing yourself and what you do? Jane, you can go first. Oh, sure. Uh, my name's Jane. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner who works currently at our local hospital and also at Coast Life Families where I work with Jess. Um, I have been a nurse practitioner after doing my training in London 12 years. 12 years. Now, but a neonatal nurse before that, total for over 20 years now. Amazing. So you did your training over in London? My nurse practitioner training, ah. yeah. Are you Australian? Are you yes. born in Australia? Yes. Ah, cool. Just, and you just travelled over there and I did was that hanging study. out there for a while. Couldn't Amazing. decide whether to come home. Decided oh. to get a real job instead. Nice. <laughs> Fair call. That's amazing. How fun. It was fun. Yeah? It was good. And when did you move back here? How long ago? Um, in 2013. So nearly 10 years now. 10 years. And yep. you started at, well, probably Nambour back then, I guess. No, I was down in Melbourne. So I worked at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne cool. and then came up when school opened up here. Cool. Yep, so never worked Nambour. Yes. Oh, unlucky you. <laughs> unlucky you. So then you started at Coast Life how long ago? Because that's a f- somewhat new, I guess. Uh, it is new. Yeah. Um, doing two jobs, I guess. I started six months ago. So yeah, in cool. October. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Awesome. And what about you, Jess? <clears throat> so I am a child health nurse and a lactation consultant. So I've been a child health nurse for about 10 years. Prior to that, um, paediatric nurse. Cool. So worked at the Royal Children's in Melbourne uh, and the Marta Kids in Brisbane and the Royal Children's in Sydney. Awesome. Um, and, yeah, then came back to the coast, which is where I'm from, and did my child health. Mm-hmm. And then I've been a lactation consultant for, I want to say, like six years. Yeah. So awesome. have been working with babies and families for a very long time. Did you do your – did you stay being a paediatric nurse while you're doing your lactation outside or how did so, that go down? Yeah, so did my child health first yeah. and then did my lactation, sat the lactation cool. exam. So it's a, just an international exam that you have to sit yeah. and pass. And well, you have to be accredited to kind of be eligible to sit the exam and then, yeah. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Okay, cool. Well, we have a bunch of questions from our mamas for you guys today, and I am super excited to get them answered for them. So, okay, I want to start with this one because I'm curious on the answer. So, Jess, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm on a talk show or something with um, <laughs> the different questions. Oh, no. 
<laughs> on the timer. Okay, so one of our mamas wrote in, um, how soon would you introduce a bottle of pumped breast milk? Hopefully we can boob and bottle this time with her second babe. I breastfed my first baby till 14 months and struggled to get her from boob to bottle. Used to have to go into daycare and feed, then run out, come back a few hours later, which just sounds wild. I think we introduced the bottle too late. What are your thoughts? So my first thought is I think it's always interesting how even though we're, when we have a baby and we birth an individual, um, mums are very good at blaming themselves. So, so it's really interesting in this question how automatically the mum's like, I think we introduced it too late, like it's her fault. Um, and unfortunately, when we have an individual, there's not a lot of control that we have over certain things. And some babies are just booby babies. And, you know, I've had circumstances in which, you know, I've supported families to introduce a bottle at, you know, eight, ten weeks and then the baby turns four months, mum wants to go back or needs to go back to work at five months and then the baby goes, mm, no, thank you. And, you to know, we have to... we ha- To the bottle. And we have to sort of rejig things and start all over again. Wow. So I think that in the early days, those first sort of eight to ten weeks, expressing and trying to introduce a bottle is just another step and it can be really tricky because your your milk supply is still evening out, you're still in the initiation phase and you know, babies just want to be fed. So I certainly wouldn't do it that early if it could be avoided. Yeah. You know, in those first six to eight weeks. Yeah. If that can be avoided, I would not be pumping and trying to give a bottle then. But then I'd be trying to get some support after that point. Amazing. This is what we want to do. This is when I need to go back to work. This is our goal. Because, you know, when we are exclusively breastfeeding a baby – it is demand and supply. Mm. And then if we throw some expressing in there, I want to pump, that alters the demand. Mm. You know, your supply can be affected, all those kinds of things. So I think that there is no one-size-fits-all answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly wouldn't be doing it in those first six to eight weeks if we if it can be avoided. And I love I'd that. Be, I'd be getting some support. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. I actually say the same for dummies. What do you think about that? Well, again, like, you know, there's some really hard and fast rules out there that you can be like, don't introduce a dummy before six to eight weeks. Mm. But again, when, you know, there are some individual babies, and I'm sure we've all worked with them, who just want to suck, and that's the only way they will soothe. Mm Mm-hmm. And, if, and they're not even hungry. They're just yeah, wanting to suck. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then we have those babies that suck and suck and then their tummies get really full and then they're cranky and, you mm-hmm. know. So, again, I think that if, if you're feeling like I need to introduce a dummy, I, I, you know, I need to have a period of time where I can put this baby down, mm-hmm. I would just seek some support yeah. and recognise that, you know, like in the States they call it a pacifier mm-hmm. and that's what it is. You know, it's, it's to get you through these chunks of time where babies just want to continue to suck yeah. and it's, it's not going to be as helpful. Um, so, yeah, I think there's no hard and fast rule. Again, if you can avoid it in those early weeks, that's great. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you've just got to put the baby down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you notice in the first couple of weeks that you've got one of these types of babies, you can potentially introduce it early and seek support, as you said. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. But can I just say something on that? Absolutely. Then Jess, I quote Jess all the time. Uh, so she, I've heard her say to families before that we really need to um, remind ourselves that babies actually have a physiological need to be with us for a period of time after that they birth. And Jess describes it as just as physiological as needing the nappy changed or being fed. Mm-hmm. They are meant to be with us, which is obviously as mothers and parents, I guess, but which is often a disconnect to how we live in a society these days about we like our own time and we're used to being independent and all those kind of things. So yeah. uh, Jess is very good at uh, reminding people and supporting them through that adjustment to motherhood. Absolutely. Yeah, that's actually such an interesting um 
perspective. Yeah, because back in the day, there was no way we're as independent and alone as we are mm-hmm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, you would have your families, you would have your parent, your partner's family and all, all the grandkids, et cetera, et cetera, in the one house. So you would never be home alone. Whereas so many of us are home alone now and in the cars Absolutely. alone. And even if you're both at home in different rooms, just on your screen or whatever it is. So, yeah, when you all of a sudden have this baby attached to you, mm. it's a huge adjustment, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Really, yeah. Well, a lot of people really struggle with it. That yeah. First yeah. Massive adjustment, yeah. Interesting. Mm. Let's tangent on that for a second. So how would, um, yeah, how would that look if a woman, would she essentially come in for an appointment with you for normal baby stuff and then you discuss with her how she's going with the adjustment and, and how would you sort of support her through that? Yeah, so, I mean, as Jane said, that's something that we always touch on. Mm-hmm. You know, like we always say with our service that there is no such thing as a baby. There's a baby and, you know, whether it's mum, dad, extended family, you know, we there is no such thing as just making an assessment of the baby because Love we that. need to see how the baby is fitting into and how the adju- what the adjustment of the entire family is like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oftentimes... When mums come to see us, it's that normalising of, yeah, you feel tapped out. You feel like you want some time without this little person that you love to the bottom of your heart, Mm -hmm. but you just need to go to the toilet or have a shower or have a period of time Mm -hmm. where you don't have them attached to you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think for us it's just normalising that, right? And going, Mm. yeah, you know, we we get it. Your needs Mm -hmm. and their needs are at the opposite ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. in terms of touch and wanting to be attached sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, part of that is just normalising it and reassuring them that that's okay. And then, as Jane said, normalising, you know, infant behaviour. And I think, you know, sometimes as mums we want to know that we're doing a good job and so people are like, oh, they breastfeeding again, you know. P- people will say that to mothers. Oh, they're really? on the breast again. Oh, you're feeding again. Oh, you're not going to put them down. Oh, right. Honestly, people's unsolicited crap just oh. comes out of nowhere. Hey, I'm just like... Include, it's a, including yeah. family members. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how much they just like out of nowhere will just say this stuff and not even contemplate how it would affect mom or bob or Absolutely. yeah it's wild yeah. yeah yeah okay so you know kind of taking that and and normalizing as jane said that the infant you know little babies are physiologically designed to be connected with someone mm-hmm. and that's really challenging as an adult but it's extremely normal and so finding a way through that where are those moments where you can ask for help mm-hmm. where are those moments that you can take the time to fill your cup a little bit and kind of navigating that. Yeah. Mums and bubs yoga. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's, um, that's so interesting. Yeah, love that. Love that. Okay, cool. So um, a common problem you were saying that you get in your guys' clinic is the whole mottled skin question and also the grunty and congestion. Do you want to speak to those topics at all? Because mm. I'm sure there's lots of mums out there being like, what the heck's going on? Is this normal? Yeah. As we know, babies are funky things. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Unpredictable. A bit weird. Yeah. Change tomorrow for compared to what we were doing today. Yeah. Um, so modelled. I saw a very modelled looking baby today. So as part mm-hmm. of obviously us um, making the overall assessment, I guess, is a physical examination. So things I'm worried about, obviously we hear about blue babies or cyanose babies and that it rings alarm bells with most people. Mm. But I guess modelled, it, it just a reminder that that's different essentially. So we like generally our babies to look a bit pink, but as we've already kind of alluded to, every baby's different. Mm-hmm. So this baby today, for example, I, um, you know, check their heart, make sure they are circulating um, their blood around their body properly yeah. as we would expect. Um, so looking at dof- diff- lots of different things. So even though there's an overall modelled appearance, the perfusion was okay. So that sends messages to me that the baby's still sending oxygen to where it should be in its body essentially. Perfect. It was a bit cool. You know, sometimes they can be a little bit more mottled looking when they're cool, but mm-hmm. it's just 
often they're just complexion and they will just grow out of it. Sometimes it can be um, a bit gravity dependent as well because sometimes, you know, if we're breastfeeding or holding a baby, then we might have trapped a leg somewhere so that leg yeah. can come out looking very purple or something yeah. like that. But that's just a circulation thing and it all just sorts itself out eventually. So, Amazing. So in the absence of anything more sinister going on in an otherwise well-looking baby, mottled kids can be very normal. Yeah. And mottled, like... Is it too hard to describe what that is for people yeah, who don't know? How did the Google mom, it. Mum describe it today. Um, patchy looking. She yeah. said patchy looking. Patchy. I would even almost sometimes say it's like a um, like a grid underneath the surface of the skin of like yeah, purple like tiles grid. kind tiles, of tiles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All different shapes and sizes. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Different, um, like, uh, like different colors, isn't it? Yeah. Like, uh, inconsistency of color yeah yeah i would agree i would agree so um correct me if i'm wrong mottled skin can be an indication of poor circulation but definitely not always so like um if if your baby's got mottled skin it's definitely worth coming into people like you guys and getting a checkup but it's quite probably nothing too sinister yeah and i guess on that note just um you know, thinking about the signs and symptoms of an unwell mm-hmm. newborn Go for it. model can definitely be one of them, obviously, in conjunction with lots of other things. So yeah. as parents, we um, will know what's normal for our baby because they're all different, even from their siblings. So their colours different, their tones different, their activities different. Mm. And that obviously varies with their age as well. Um, but so whatever's not normal for your baby is probably ringing alarm bells. So yeah. if they're a bit more sleepy than usual, a bit more irritable, which they can't be consoled, they're um, not sleeping, um, not feeding, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, their wheeze and poos are less than they are normal. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a bit floppy. You know, lots of different things, which is just abnormal for your baby, essentially, mm. which, um, you know, people would rather, especially health professionals would rather, you're never going to be criticised for bringing your baby in to be assessed 100%. than the opposite, than potentially leaving it too late because they can get as unwell as quick as they can get better. So it's worth yeah. just someone taking a look, essentially. If you're worried about anything, number one rule we've all been told along the way is listen to the parent. They might not know yeah. what's going on, but they can... 100% tell you it's not normal for their baby. Yeah. So often they say these tiny little symptoms and then they often end up saying, it's just different. I just know that something's off. I just yeah, know that right. something's off. Yeah. And you're so right. It's like a yeah. pregnant woman. We always say that. Like, yeah, yeah. if you just feel off, everything could seem super normal. But if you just feel off, 100% come on yeah. in, hey, because that's and the best And you'd rather indicator. it be okay and then be completely fine and you're like, what the heck was that? Yeah. And then we'll never know and yeah. go on your merry way. It's so funny sometimes with medicine. Like I think, like it can obviously, medicine can come across very formal and very intelligent. However, half the time we're just fucking playing by ear and just seeing what the heck's going on. Like no idea, just try some things and see if it works. Eliminating the big stuff. Yeah, eliminating the big stuff. It's like a a process of elimination rather than just seeing a baby and being like, that's that. And this is something that I see often and honestly especially in the nursery as you were saying you are, you work in the nursery a lot and um like sometimes babies will come over and they might have a temp or they might be not feeding that well but their blood cultures are normal and everything else seems normal and we just don't know what's going on and they're just there for observation and you can really see it in the parents where they're kind of like what do you mean you can't tell us what the problem is yeah. and it's like that ha- I think that's something that I often will explain to them because they kind of feel like, you know, maybe you're hiding something and I know that you guys always explain, like, exactly what you think the potentials are and I, like, often find myself explaining to them, honestly, we don't know what's mm. actually going on right now. Nothing's being hidden behind closed doors. We're not sus on anything and not telling you. It is simply the fact that we're not quite sure mm. and we're just continuing to observe to see if it magically fixes itself and all is well or Mm. something else happens to indicate what's actually wrong. Better be safe and sorry. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think, Amy, on that note, if you have the opportunity to see someone like Jane, like we were saying earlier, you know, there are very few people as skilled Uh at assessing a baby, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to make that really good thorough assessment and say, yeah, these things might be a little bit different. But overall, we know your baby's fine and healthy. Absolutely. You know, and then as a parent, you can have that peace of mind. Absolutely. Even um, when I came in the other day to Coast Life Families and 
you had said something that you were seeing um, a baby with a floppy larynx. Like, I don't know anybody else on the coast, external from the hospital, that someone could go and feel confident that their baby's getting the best care. Like, I, I don't even know. Like, there's no way you'd go nothing up against GPs, but there's no way you'd feel confident going to a GP over your baby having a floppy larynx, mm-hmm. which essentially is a floppy airway for peeps at home. But, mm-hmm. yeah, like, mm-hmm. that's such a cool service to have available for everyone, but especially for people with more complex needs. Mm. Yeah. We're just lucky we have um, availability and time. <laughs> um, Own it, Jane. Be like, yeah, yes. I'm fab. As we've said, it's so difficult to get into GPs these days, let alone a paediatrician. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We did segue into my mind somewhere else before, but now we've gone well past it and I've Uh, forgotten. So, Modelled was one question. There was something else. Oh, grunty. Grunty. Thank you. The grunty and congestion. Mamas often come in with that and they always tell me about it too. The baby's grunting throughout the night. They're like, is it feeding? Does it need a feed? I don't know. Yeah. Quite often wake the baby up to feed it. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's right. Well, I experienced it myself, so um, I totally get it. Yes. I totally get it. So there's obviously periods, of usually when babies are asleep, that, um, you know, yeah, we have families coming all the time going, what the heck is the noise that they're making all the time? Is there something wrong? They're thinking the baby is potentially, um, has an airway obstruction, things like that. But generally speaking, it's just, they're just not in necessarily a deep sleep. So, yeah, you're looking at them going, why are they making a noise? Are they going to the toilet? Are they having a poo? Are they weeing? Are they, um, are they going to vomit? Do they, are they hungry? Are they actually asleep? My advice is that they just make funny noises all the time. Mm-hmm. And if they look otherwise well, go back to sleep because they'll certainly wake you up when and if they want to feed. So true. Yeah. And it's so hard because, like, yeah, everyone has that. Like, say if even your partner has a bit of a time where they're stirring and they roll over, yeah. but you wouldn't even wake up, right? Whereas as a mum and you've got your mum instincts oh, yeah. going on and you're on edge yeah, yeah. and you're always waking up to Hyper every little noise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so tricky. It will get better. You, it, you get used to the noises. Yeah, yeah, and then, amazing. And then you're more confident. You know, you become more confident and you're going to back yourself that you will wake up to your baby yeah. who is when they're hungry, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Try and get as much sleep as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. If you wake up and they're just grunting, they're not crying, they're not awake, just leave them. Yep. Go back and to snuffly. Sleep. Snuffly that people talk about a lot. So that kind of snorting, snoring sound coming from the upper airway. It's just because their airways are so, so, so narrow, especially if you've got a spilly baby. Sometimes, you know, when we've all vomited in the past, it mm. goes up through your mouth and into the back of your mm. nose. So sometimes you can imagine such a small airway, if there's mm. any kind of obstruction, whether it just be normal mucus, remembering mm. that our airways are a filtered, humidified passage into our bodies, mm. um, it's meant to be moist and have mucus in it. So that kind of occlusion or just a bit of milk that they've bought up can sound louder than it actually Mm. um, is, if you know what I mean, because even a partial obstruction on a small airway can make it sound very noisy. Yeah. And most of the time when I listen to chess and, you know, the history of a baby having those issues, the chest is crystal clear. It's not to do with the airways. They're breathing you know, airways at all. So there's nothing wrong in their lungs at all. It's all coming from here and so there's good. no problem. And if it's not interfering with feeding at all, because we obviously completely seal their mouth when they're particularly breastfeeding, mm-hmm. if they can still feed adequately whilst the sealed mouth, their, their nose is obviously clear. Yeah. So that's reassuring. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree completely. And quite often it's amazing how much... They can actually breathe, even though it looks like their nose mm. is completely yeah. occluded. Like yeah. on the breast, like if the breast is spilling over, especially when they're a newborn, sometimes it's like you just put them on and you just wait and see if they pull off or <laughs> yeah. not because it looks occluded, yeah, but yeah. then they just make do. So yeah, yeah. it's quite funny, yeah. isn't it? Um, okay, so we had another question come in. Um, what are the early signs of mastitis? So mastitis is... Um, I made that into such a big deal when I said the question, but it's such a simple word. I was like, I didn't, <laughs> wait a Should I talk? <laughs> I don't know why. I was really processing that, but it was the simplest question. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Well, it's got a, it's got a big answer. That's so true. That's ready true. For it. Um, so mastitis is an infection in 
the breast when we're breastfeeding. Right. So, um, and this can happen particularly in the early days when your milk first comes in and you're very engorged and you've got, you know, nice round, full mm. breasts and you've got a newborn who's maybe not drinking so much um, because they're little and they're having short feeds. And so what we're looking for, um, and, and when a woman gets mastitis, they can become quite unwell. So it's flu-like symptoms as well. So what we're looking for is any um, lumps in the breast, particularly after a feed, if the breast doesn't feel nice and soft and there's any lumps, you know, particularly around these outer edges, it's quite common. Um, and if those lumps get tender and then progress to being tender and red, and then that redness can then often um, sort of come before then these flu-like symptoms and so then it's progressed into mastitis. And oftentimes right. when you get to the stage as a mum, as a breastfeeding woman, when you feel these kind of systemic flu-like symptoms of just feeling, you know, feverish and tired and sore and achy, then that's when you will potentially need um, antibiotics to mm. clear that up. So the early signs would be these lumps, yeah. particularly after a feed. And essentially, like, if you were to feel a lump after a feed um, to try to mitigate the risk of needing antibiotics, yep. what would you do? So it's particularly, you know, if it's a short feed or, like I said, when you, if, you've, if your milk has just come in and you, you're, you're quite full and your baby's not taking big feeds, then you may still feel some fullness after. So what you can do is, particularly if they're, um, you know, people talk about, breast massage what we need to remember is the ducts the milk ducts are quite close to the skin we don't need to get in there interesting it's not like a i was going to send the management it's not like the deeper the better yeah Yeah. no it's (laughs) because if you get in there what you can do is actually do some damage to the ducts and then you can get some um you know then you're actually putting yourself further at risk of mastitis interesting so after a feed if you feel like oh baby didn't take very much you know, I'm still quite full, then you can do some gentle massage and maybe some hand expression to try and relieve that fullness a little mm. bit. And then after you've done that, you can use a cold pack. Because again, when you put cold on something, like when you've hurt a muscle, it reduces the inflammation. So there's there has just been uh, in the last six months some new guidelines about management of mastitis and much more those guidelines are focused on cold so putting cold on these inflamed areas of the of the breast to try and reduce that inflammation and then just continue to feed and again if you feel like you've got a little bit of a mismatch you know because you know particularly when you first give birth and you deliver the placenta and your milk first comes in your body is just making as much milk as it can Mm. so we can have a look you know some women experience oversupply so if you're worried about that, I would definitely seek some support because, again, you don't want to express on a pump, which yeah. increases the demand, which are the, your body will then increase the supply, which you're in that yeah. cycle of, of trouble. So, yeah, early signs, lumps, particularly after feeding, and if you can do some gentle massage and hand expressing to try and relieve that fullness, and then cold packs. Interesting, because am I right in saying that cold packs used to be a thing and then they were taken out thinking that the constriction is going to make it worse? Yes. Um, so that's really interesting that it's back in. Yeah, so those recent guidelines have come out and said, cool. yes, cold packs. If prior to a feed, I wouldn't use a cold pack because, yes. like you said, constricts, yeah. which means that the, the you know, you're not going to have the letdowns and the milk flowing. Yeah. But, yes, after a feed, if you've still got lumps and you're getting this kind of inflammation, cold packs. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And after a good hand express as well. Yeah. And I'll add on there, agree if you do, that um, maybe with that hand express, use either a heat pack or even in the hot shower to yeah. help express a little yep. bit of that. Absolutely. Uh, with hand and then followed by a cold pack. Yeah. Oh, great. I'm glad yeah. to know that that's changed, actually. That's really great. Um. Okay, cool. Let's talk about a pretty controversial topic of tongue and lip ties. I actually had a mama the other day who was talking about the fact that she had lip ties cut. And obviously I didn't necessarily speak to it at the time because it was already done, but it's so common. Yeah. Anyways, tell us your thought. Mm. (laughs) 
Uh, and remember, the... this is a podcast. This is just your opinion. <laughs> it's nothing's like going to be, yeah. Well, I think it's generally agreed that there's not a lot of evidence about it. But what mm-hmm. we do know is that anecdotally, so particularly women who are breastfeeding, um, report that if they have had a tongue-tie release on the baby, then it's not so painful. So obviously, um, certainly in the hospital, so tongue ties are performed, um, tongue tie releases, I should say, are re- performed in the hospital by myself and some other practitioners there after an assessment, a proper assessment, obviously, mm-hmm. by the lactation consultant. And I guess concerns moving forward are obviously feeding concerns and um, speech issues further down the line, which are obviously mm-hmm. very hard to predict in the newborn period. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Certainly we come across families who have a family history of tongue ties and may have had a traumatic experience with a past baby or themselves. We recently had a dad come in who's just got his tongue, a tongue tie himself cut as a grown man at, at a dentist not very long ago. And I had a mum just on the weekend in the hospital actually who was diagnosed with a tongue tie by her dentist recently. Wow. Um, and uh, her partner just gave her a bit of stick for not being able to stick her tongue out very far, but she never really thought about it before. And her baby has a significant tongue tie. So she was, although it wasn't interfering with feeding, she in particular wanted that um, released for the baby's um, benefit. Which, So obviously every baby's different. There is, um, so we're obviously talking about the frenulum, which connects our lung, tongue to our base of our mouth, which is obviously where it should be. And yeah. having that tongue there is obviously um, has a lot to do with certainly embryological. So when the baby's growing inside us, um, the formation of the mouth is dependent on that tongue position essentially and um, affects the development of our hard palate and even the shape of our mouth and our jaws and things like that. So wow. it needs to be there. Um, yeah, there's varying severities obviously. So... I guess the message is com, um, really um, thorough assessments by yeah. lactation consultants, essentially. Mm. Um, Not so dentists, lactation consultants. Uh, majority of people, I guess, c- releasing ties in the community are probably dentists. Yeah. Um, at this point in time. So yeah. certainly you won't come across any neonatologist, paediatrician, uh, nurse practitioner, who will be cutting anything other than a tongue tie, mm. um, but other professionals do. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's such a fascinating topic. So quick question, but we're going to continue on that, is what would the benefit of an adult getting a tongue tie snipped be? That's a good question. Thank you. Um, this dad just wanted some time off work. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next six months he'll get his uh, snip done and then what he said yeah he had six weeks six worth of leave that six, he wanted to use six weeks off work oh my gosh um i think pretty much if you survived your entire adulthood yeah. um and you know being able to whistle and lick ice creams you're doing okay yeah <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So he could. I was thinking maybe speech wise, but no. Didn't no, there's no him. issues no, with his speech. He noticed no difference. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And yeah. the woman was the same. The no, mother. So you we said? saw. Oh, this mum. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. Nothing. Like nothing. she. She just said. Yeah. Her husband just noticed she couldn't stick her tongue out very far. That was. Oh my gosh. That was the. the Isn't that funny? Like the thought of getting that cut is mm. is like ick. So it's mm. definitely not yeah. a so easy is comment. It, I do. F- um. It is a relatively. Mm. Depends on who does it, actually. Yeah, But right. if it's significant and um, easily done in the newborn period in the hospital, yeah. as I said, we would do it if it's affecting feeding, definitely. Mm. Um, and generally, the babies tolerate it really well, actually, mm. because there's no pain receptors in the frenulum. So if it's easy to yeah. um, do that for them, that is. And historically, there used to be midwives with very long um, pinky fingers that... Uh, you know, their nails on their pinky finger who used to do it. So I, I guess... I that for the first time the other day. I was through, like, that is wild. Through history, we've been doing it all along anyway. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay, so um, tongue ties we would snip as a neonate if it's affecting their feeding, right? But if it's not affecting their feeding, then you usually Generally would not, not worry about there's, it. There's obviously a lot that goes into the assessment because it's about the movement and lift and extension of the tongue and things mm. like that. So mm-hmm. um, if it – like of, 
you know, all the because we obviously do it in our clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely see a difference. Oh, for sure. amazing! Yeah. But I, I guess people don't come to us unless there is a genuine problem yeah. kind yes. of thing. Because nobody yeah. obviously wants to put their baby through a procedure unnecessarily. Yeah. Generally. yeah, 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 yeah. So you guys cut tongue ties at the clinics now. Um, why don't you cut? Lip ties and what are lip ties? How do they work? Are they legit? Are you going to say something? Before? What would you well, recommend if someone's so, been recommended a lip tie? Cut. So, well, we, yeah. So, well, I'll go back a bit. So, we do cut tongue ties, but mm. the way in which we do it, the only way that you know, we there is an there is a appointment with me, a full lactation appointment yeah. with me. Because often, that. often after that appointment they're deemed to be not necessarily anyway and the families are happy with that. So yes. that's the point of that mm. original appointment just because they've come to us in desperation, which is often the case because yes. Yes. feeding has, uh, you know, hasn't been as ideal as hoped. So yes. often just an appointment with mm. Jess and um, some feeding support is enough to alleviate their dramas. Totally, yeah. totally. And as you say, why get it done if you don't need to? If yeah. it's not going to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so, and because, you know, we always, uh, and if we do decide as, you know, if the recommendation from us is and the parents are in agreement, we do decide to do the procedure, then still there is a, a follow-up appointment a week later yeah. to make sure that, you know, then the other strategies that we've put in place around feeding are successful as well because it's yes. not yeah. a magic wand. I think that's yeah. what people need to be reminded about that unfortunately it's, yeah, as Jess says, not a magic wand for everybody. It's not going to yeah. – people um, often get – you know hang their hopes on this is going to be the be-all and end-all and sort everything out. But often even if it um, is a successful release and it's an obvious restriction, it doesn't – it's not just a, you know – instant fix it needs to be yeah. more work put into the process as well absolutely yes yeah, yeah. so true i think that's good to know because you're right people do hang on to that as soon as this tongue ties cut mm. feeding's going to be easy and everything's going to be fine and my nipples aren't going to be sore and absolutely yeah yeah i'm um, going back to your lip tie yes thank you we wouldn't do it no no because the evidence doesn't um, support that yeah, it's helpful. Don't. No, that's right. So yeah. obviously there are other people that do it. And, um, you know, anecdotally, we've definitely had families that have come in and have raved about it. Okay. Um, Interesting to know. I think it's a, just a more extensive um, procedure, I mm-hmm. guess, and certainly not performed um, yeah, at the hospital or yeah. in our clinic. Yeah, yeah. And essentially lip ties, that's like under the top lip, under the bottom lip. Yeah. And then I've heard of these cheek ties yeah, as well buckle, but buckle, buckle ties, buckle ties. Well. yeah yeah so um you guys feel like they're not supported by evidence to get any of those done so if someone was you know i guess having a lot of difficulty with breastfeeding and they'd heard about these lip and cheek ties like what would you recommend that they do if they're like don't just don't know what to do see a lactation consultant see a lactation consultant 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. yeah i agree completely yeah i agree completely thanks so much for answering that question because i feel like there's so much um it is, yeah, it's very um, quite um, yeah, fashionable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. And people are desperate. Like you would just want to do the best by your child. Yeah. So if it, it's very tricky when a, a health professional is telling you that this is what the recommendation is. You're generally yeah. going to follow that because you're in trust of them. And I think, you know, regardless, every generally speaking, every health professional means well. Yeah. They're just um, practising on their experience, mm-hmm. I guess, and opinion perhaps. And yeah. um, certainly if we if someone came to us, like you said, after the fact, then I'm certainly not going to slag off their decision. They, no. You know, we carry enough guilt around as parents. You're not going to, uh, you know, imp- increase theirs by, yeah. you know, making them feel that they've made a bad decision. Yeah, I totally back that too. I totally back that. Um, yeah. That's so we don't that. <laughs> um, Okay. So this is another question from a mama today at Pilates where she said, um, my baby's four months old and he started having very stinky gas but normal poos. Also now only poos once a week. What's happening there? Is that normal? So for an exclusively breastfed baby, um, yes, essentially it is. Seven to ten days is still considered to be normal period between um, doing a poo. 
as long as baby's feeding well, there's no increase in vomiting, um, still passing wind, um, and when the baby does do a poo, the poo is soft and moist. The reason that this happens is, you know, everyone's gut is different, as we keep raving on about. Every baby is different. We're all individuals. Um, so some babies, yes, will start to poo less and less simply because, you know, the way their digestive system works and there's not a lot of waste products with breast milk. So pretty much everything in breast milk can be used either as hydration or, you know, um, immune support or calories or whatever it is. So there's just not a lot of waste products with breast milk. And so the way that some babies process that is they just poo you know, after sort of six weeks, they just poo less and less and less. And obviously, the longer that that sits in the tummy, the smellier the farts get. Yeah. So as yeah. long as the poo looks normal, yeah, that's fine. Amazing. Interesting. So what is the difference? Um, I'm imagining it's just the gut maturing. That's the difference of like a newborn who poos 10 times a day Correct. to... Slowing down. It's so interesting. Yeah. I remember when I found that out, I, like, I'd been a midwife for like two or three years and one of my neighbours told me that their kid only poos once a week and I yeah. was like, dude, I think you need to get that checked out. <laughs> She's getting enough food. And he was like, yeah, super normal. So yeah. that's interesting. It's just such a lack of waste product because yeah, it's so pure. Isn't yeah. amazing? Yeah. Isn't it absolutely. just amazing? So yeah, as long as all those other things look normal, still putting on weight, still feeding well, Love no increase in vomiting. Not particularly painful in the gut, passing wind, soft, moist poos, you're golden. All good. Growing. Amazing. Gaining weight. Gaining weight. Yeah. Gaining weight, yeah. Growing. That's yeah. a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. This babe today that had had this issue um, is particularly beautifully chubby, so um, definitely not an issue. Um, so... Okay, let's speak to the cold and sweaty feet because lots of my mamas say that babies have cold feet and they always put socks on them. Is this normal? Is it bad circulation or is it normal circulation? What's your thoughts on that? I think that like most things in babies, everything's just a bit immature. Yes. So it's just essentially sorting themselves out, especially um, you know when the babies are growing inside mums. You're you know they they're doing a lot of that processing and regulation and things like that for as you can imagine for lots and lots and lots of different systems in the body so I think it's just one of those um, you know dysregulation things that they're just sorting out so that it's just lacking maturity essentially at this point in time so again like we said about the modeling in the absence of uh, you know the baby being unwell in any way uh, it is completely normal and remember we have sweat glands in very Everywhere, essentially. Everywhere, yeah, Everywhere. you're so right. You're so so right. that's just the same as the feet, essentially. Yeah. So just chuck some socks on yeah. and, yep. yeah, yep. love that, love that, love that. Um, okay, cool. I reckon I want to ask to you, what would be the reason to come see you guys? Why do people come see you guys? You're looking at me. Yeah, <laughs> you go first. <laughs> um, and you both I mean, have apart very from the fact that you're awesome. <laughs> which is reason enough. Absolutely. Um, and you both do very different roles, so yeah, you can answer to you and then... Very yeah. different roles. I guess um, the difference, because I guess you can go anywhere, well, not anywhere, you can go other places to get our services in that um, we perform, like we've said, um, growth, and, growth and development checks. I guess we do mm-hmm. th- procedures like tongue ties, blood collecting, things mm-hmm. like that. We do referrals. Um, we do vaccinations so mm. obviously people know that they can get most of those things in other places in the community mm. but I guess our, the point of difference of us is specialty we, mm. we're not necessarily and again no um, disrespect to GPs but the you know as I said before the it's in the title isn't it they're general practitioners mm. and um, we're mm. specialists and my yeah. specialty is babies I guess and yeah. over 20 years experience there mm. but fortunate enough to have um, still a long connection with a hospital and working in an acute setting and yeah. um, access to neonatologists and paediatricians and things mm. like that as well but also bringing that experience into the community which has been really nice to yeah. get back and work with families and um, see lots of well babies. Remind me yes. that not everybody's unwell. Babies aren't unwell. So true. Um, 
So why so specialty, I guess, and time. I keep saying time. Yeah. We, um, as you know, we have a beautiful, and people who've um, come to see you know about our beautiful space. So uh, we're mm. different in that we don't have sterile waiting rooms and things like that. And that's the point. We, there's no waiting, essentially. Yeah. And as I say, time is, we offer hour-long appointments as opposed to... So good. Uh, yeah, we have that luxury, whereas other, obviously, practitioners don't have that luxury. So yeah, um, I guess that's where Jess comes in as well because we have time and it's about yeah. um, being family-centred as well and that's yeah. what Jess does very well. Jess, I mean, I always say do? to people, and I said this, you know, my... Best friend's little sister had a baby recently on the coast oh. and I was like, if nothing else, please get your baby checked by Jane. Yes. Because I just think to have access to someone with such skill and such knowledge and such experience, it just as a parent, it gives you peace of mind. My baby is well. You know, we're starting off this journey with a well, healthy baby and I can, I can feel really confident in that. So... Um, yeah, that I, you know, I, I, and like Jane said, we have the time. So our appointments yeah. are, we always offer an hour. Um, as a child health nurse, our specialty is sort of mostly zero to five. You know, yeah. we do do some work um, in the sort of teenage space when more things happen. Um, but generally for me, I work with families, yeah, with kids zero to five. So that's yeah. what is normal, optimal, expected growth and development of yeah. these individual babies. So for us, because we, you know, we have the privilege of seeing these families on, you know, a, a lot of our families, they come to us for a year um, and we see them for all of their growth and development checks for that year. Um, so you have the privilege of, of knowing these children, these little people as individuals yeah. and helping you know, the family see the wood for the trees. Remember, you know, they're worried about a certain aspect of development, but you can remind them how brilliantly their baby is doing in another aspect of development. And, Absolutely. you know, um, and again, if there are any concerns with growth and development, then we can observe it early and put in some strategies in place, whether it be play strategies or whether you do need to go and see another health practitioner to try and... Um, you know, nip those things in the bud yes. early because we know with little people if there are concerns with growth and development, early intervention is absolutely vital, Yeah, you know, to, okay, where should we be in terms of the growth and development? We're not quite there yet. What can we do to help support that? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's an absolute joy for us to see these little people grow and come back from being held you know, babes in arms to come in and then, you know, it seems like a blink of the eye, the mum's walking in and the baby's walking in. Well, they're not babies anymore, are they? Mm. Walking in next to them and, you know, so for me as a child health nurse, I get to talk about all the really exciting and wonderful newborn stuff but then we also get to talk about, okay, what happens at four months around development? What happens at six months when we're wanting to introduce solids and babies mm. starting to teethe? What happens at 10 months when they're starting to move their big muscles more and they're growing and they're wanting to walk? Mm. What happens at 12 months when you have this person who is their own little person? Mm. And then the toddler years and then toilet training. Um, we recently had a really, really lovely review from one of our families who was on a package that Mum saw us for 12 months with cool. her second child. Cool. Um, and she said in the review she wasn't sure sort of how much she was going to get out of it because obviously not a first-time mum, but a lot of the appointments we talked about the toddler yes. and the challenges there. And, and like Jane said, we don't just focus on the individual. It's about how does this fit in with the family? What's the yes. family's values and beliefs? What do we need to work on? And then also as a parent, our blueprint for parenting is the way that we were parented. And everyone does their best, but oftentimes we come into parenting with, I don't want to do that. That was one thing that my parents did that I don't want to do. But if you don't get on the front foot and think, okay, well, I don't want to do that in that situation. What do I want to do? Then it's about having those parenting tools in your toolkit and also reflecting and, and thinking about what kind of parent do I want to be? How does this sit with me as an individual? And how can I best... Um, live my values and beliefs as a parent with this little person 
And then as a couple, what does that look like? You know, so that's the the awesome stuff that we get to do. You know, as a child health nurse, it's you know get I get to do all the cool stuff. Ah, oh, that just sounds so so fascinating, and I think that's a really. Um valuable part to what you guys offer that honestly I've not heard that approach anywhere else ever I've not heard anyone any mum say that anyone's approached them with that kind of perspective and I just think as you say having the the appointments are focused on how is the family dynamic going how is the family's health how is that all as a whole and um, I think that's really really valuable especially with the how do I want to be a parent I just think I've been doing, um, I guess, lots of reading and stuff about that lately and often how we parent is how, as you say, we were parented and there's things that you might be aware of that you didn't like as a child and you don't want to do. But there'd be so much that we're unaware of, how you discipline um, your child is how you are disciplined and also how you discipline yourself. Um, Like it all is so subconscious as well and and as you say, it is part of that reflection process as a parent is – um, really great to be able to have someone to talk to about that because Absolutely. so many people would be so lost. But something else I wanted to add to what you said is another incredibly valuable part to what you guys do is is um, the continuity aspect in regards to the development because I've had so many mums and even at, um, at the hospital, the other midwives who are obviously very much in this um, world um, – you know, their kids may not be like speaking the right words at the right time or be able to make certain sounds or walking. I'll see some babies walk at four months and some babies walk at nine months. And then it's just like, um, it's so hard to know, is this something wrong developmentally? Um, or is this just a little bit late and it's no big deal? And because early intervention is so important, I think the mums can feel so like, how the fuck am I supposed to know what to yeah. do? Like, am I going to go and spend, you know, hundreds of dollars on all these different therapists when um, it could be nothing or not? So it's so good to have like a base to go to where you see all their development and you can make the calls of like, yeah, early intervention is necessary for this. Yeah. Um, or no, it's fine. Like this is going to just take a little bit more time. They're doing so well in the intellectual aspect or something mm. like let's just chill for a bit and check in in three months like, absolutely and all the home tools from you guys that you use I didn't even realize that you did that as child health nurses to be able to yeah like allocate some tools at home to help them develop absolutely. with those certain things yeah we um we talked about this in our we have a we run a mothers and babies group and we have different speakers and wonderful people come and yes, do sessions with I'm doing us. tomorrow yes, which is so exciting. exciting yes um and you know Jane's done you know recognizing illness and all those kinds of things and we are uh, the last session last week I did on kind of just a broad development session just yes. a little bit on introducing solids and toilet training and things like that but one of the things that um I'd sort of made up a chart for all of the mums for a guide to sort of the first two years and I said I'm not going to go through each of the developmental milestones there are a few that we sort of talked about but there I made a column in that which was you know moments to be mindful of so yeah if if baby isn't doing this by this date that is a red flag yeah you know um yes it's very normal and a developmentally appropriate at 15 months for your baby to be having tantrums that's completely appropriate yeah that's what we want so just those little like you say those moments where it's like okay this is this is a red flag and even though there's a spectrum of development this is when we want to see someone absolutely and that's just I think that's such a relief for the mamas to take that responsibility off their shoulders because they often feel like how yeah how am I supposed to know this stuff and yeah like it can have these detrimental effects and it's just so nice to to have someone to tell you exactly when those red flags are and they're not as well absolutely yeah Yeah. that's um the feedback we get all the time is as you said the continuity so obviously Jess Jess isn't seeing or we aren't seeing those families as a snapshot seeing them over time that keep coming back to us is is really helpful and as we all know if we you know even if it's grandma giving advice or aunt or the neighbor or whatever or the midwife at the hospital or even uh, oh you know whoever in um an emotion fueled situation where your hormones are flying around, you've had no yeah. sleep, 
um, you just want your baby to be okay, you're feeling like a bit of a failure, all those kind of things. All this bombarding of information can be actually confusing. Although everybody's quite well-intentioned, it can be really overwhelming. So offering that continuity instead of going to Google or the neighbour, then that's kind of what people appreciate that we offer. And as we talked about before, another, I guess, you know, positive thing that people feed back to us is just being as we said it's a beautiful space it's family friendly but it's a really non-judgmental environment we um, pride ourselves on offering um, information uh, and evidence-based information but allowing people to make choices and and not um, being judgmental about that and obviously the hot topic would be vaccinations obviously so we um you know obviously we run a vaccination service so we obviously support that but also support choice as well so provide information support choice and offer alternatives as well we definitely have families that um, pick and choose the vaccines they actually want to um, give off the usual schedule they choose to split them they also give them at different times they choose to delay them so we support all those choices where we can That's so good to know. And I think, oh gosh, that's just so nice for the mummers who do want to do that. And man, they receive such a, um, yeah, lashback if they choose Mm. not to. And obviously you work at the hospital and you have this approach, which is great. But majority of the peeps at the hospital are Mm. judgmental AF Mm. about the whole Mm. vaccine thing. Mm. So um, I think that's just so relieving for people to hear. So relieving for people to hear. So on that note, let's quickly finish up with you talking about if someone was questioning with um, what to do about vaccines, if I want them or not, how do I figure out my value-based decision on whether I want them or not? What's your advice as to what to do for them to decide? I think there is obviously a standard place that we recommend people going and that is from the Australian Immunisation Handbook because that's obviously um, where the decisions are made. There's obviously lots of research that goes into um, those schedules that are created and they even vary from state to state and that's depending on um, the prevalence of certain um, conditions and things like that. So even, uh, you know, that's you know, some people might have an issue with that being produced by the government, essentially. Um, it does have information on the prevalence of the condition. So not only it talks about um, the precautions, the potential side effects of each condition, but it also talks about each disease and how it does affect us mm-hmm. if we do happen to um, catch it and the prevalence. So then people can make informed decisions. So even if they go there and then find information in other sources, all I would say Mm -hmm. is just make sure they're reputable sources, whatever that information is being provided, that it is actually evidence-based and and just check where the information's coming from. And that's in the form of like journal articles and not news articles or magazine articles, Facebook posts. (laughs) Yes, I 100% agree. That's And I just think this is something, and again, I have literally no opinion on the vaccine thing, but that's something that I remind my mamas all the time um, in regards to, say, an induction, and I feel like it just popped into my head in regards to the vaccine as well, is that, yes, it's important to consider what are the risks and the potential side effects of receiving the vaccine, what are the risks and potential side effects of not receiving the vaccine mm-hmm. and catching the disease? Because mm-hmm. um, it's important to consider both sides. And I find with an induction um, in the hospital setting, it's very much um, discussed what's the risk of not having the induction and um, having the big baby that's not induced or, um, you know, going over the 41 weeks or whatever it is. But then there's little discussion about the risk of the actual induction. And it's just so important to consider both sides, the risks of both Mm. sides and not just be one-sided biased towards the side that you want to choose or you, like even you as your individual, say if you're feeling a bit ick about vaccines, but you really don't know why it's important for you to pick up your bias and, um, look at it properly same as you know um say doctors who are feeling ick towards not having an induction it's important to look at the bias and really consider both sides absolutely um, and then making your own value-based decision from there yeah wonderful well ladies thank you so much for jumping on the podcast do you want to tell the peeps if um they want to come see you how they can find you and book with you guys so um, <laughs> probably the best way is just to jump on Coast Life Families yeah. website um, or our Instagram or Perfect. our Facebook. Um, the contact details are on there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we get wonderful. You know, 
I got an email the other day saying, oh, I've got to have some breast surgery. I'm worried. You know, whatever way you guys yes. get to us, we will make an appointment. Absolutely. And this is for anything as standard as um, feeding and development. No, sorry. What was the other? What did you say? Development and growth. Growth checks. Yeah. Um, to anything as weird as like, you just don't know what the heck to do. Mm. Absolutely. Reach out because yep. you guys are a wealth of knowledge. And if you don't know the answers, you will be able to point them in the right direction of who does. Sure. So. so I don't know what to do, heck to do with the baby and I don't, or I don't know what to do yeah. with how I'm feeling. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent agree. hundred percent agree. Thanks so much for jumping on. Thank Thanks for no having worries. us. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you being here. All of our podcasts are recorded live in the Facebook group, so you are not only the first to listen to the podcast, but you are able to ask questions throughout the podcast. If you wish to jump into the Facebook group, the link is in the show notes. I would really appreciate if you left a five-star written review, shared this podcast with someone who would appreciate, or even share your recent listen on your social stories. Talk to you soon.